it's Bonnie. I hope you are all doing well as we are somehow entering February in a matter of days as I'm recording this. Um, I'm just always kind of shocked how fast the quarters go. I mean, we're, we're one month down into Q1 already, and I feel like time isn't slowing down. I remember um, my grandparents telling me when I was younger that time only speeds up as you get older. And I'm like, damn, my early 30s. And it feels like I I wish I could put like the pause button on for like a minute, catch my breath, look around, and then, you know, get back to it. But the, the days sometimes feel like they're slipping through my fingers. I don't know if anyone else uh, can relate to that. Um, last week on the podcast, we talked about leases and like the, the operations around that and another piece of that pie, if you will, is around lease renewals. And I have to tell you guys that this is an area that I see landlords consistently get wrong. They, they Landlords get this one wrong more than they get it right. And, you know, over the past few years, I mean, I've closed on hundreds of tenant-occupied properties. And, you know, a key part of that process is obviously like doing due diligence surrounding the tenants and the rent roll and, and all of that good stuff. And I have to say that like, you know, nine times out of 10, you know, I'm laughing in retrospect, but like in the moment, it can feel, you know, maddening, you know, on the buyer side, you just, you want this to be the easy part where you're just kind of going through the checklist and checking it off and not having to, you know, chase around or ask additional questions and I'll tell you from the the seller side of things when I'm when I'm representing a seller who's just you know got a mess, <laughs> and that's okay. There, there's no judgment, but it doesn't make my life any easier. And so, like when a seller's got you know things that just they don't line up with the listing or um, are just th- there's inconsistencies, it it makes things more difficult. Um, and I'd say probably nine times out of ten, <laughs> it's like the seller is turning over a lease that like doesn't reflect the rent on the rent roll, not to mention like other types of, I'd say somewhat less obvious changes like uh, roommates or additions of pets or like the use of the security deposit. That, that's that been a really big one over the past few years. And what I'm talking about there is tenants used their security deposit to pay rent a lot. <laughs> I know that that was permitted by law in a lot of states during, you know, the eviction moratoriums. And it, if you were just to look at a lease on face value, you'd be like, oh, great, there's, you know, one month rent or two months rent held as security deposit. But in reality, you know, you go to closing and you expect there to be a check turned over to you and it's it's not there. Um, and so this episode off the bat, it's not going to be about the due diligence on tenant occupied properties. If that is something that you're interested in, you know, shoot me a DM, shoot me an email, let me know. And, you know, if enough people think that that's an interesting topic, then I'll, you know, I'll definitely add it to the content calendar. Um, But reality is that that's a whole other conversation than, you know, renewals. What we're talking about today is, you know, making sure your docs are in order, even if you're not planning on selling. And, it's it's really important because having this stuff in place prevents, you know, costly miscommunications with tenants and just frankly makes landlord tenant actions a million times clearer, a million times easier. Like you don't want something, a summary action like a uh, an eviction to be any more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, if you are interested in, um, on the other hand, really, <laughs> uh, learning about 
losing a tenant a little bit. I I have another episode back in episode 68. It was an episode that dropped last fall about tenant turnover Rex practices. So if you're you're not renewing, you're losing a tenant, um, definitely go back, listen to episode 68, where I share my top seven tips to make that tricky time a, a lot smoother. I, I go over a lot of the exact strategies that we use in our investing business to handle dozens of turnovers at a time. And frankly, it's one of the most popular episodes I've ever made. I'll have that listed in the show notes for you to queue up after this one. And so what exactly are we going to talk about this week? We're going to cover three key important pieces of renewals. The first one is like why I don't let leases uh, lapse into month to month. This might be an unpopular opinion. You may disagree with me if you do. I always love hearing um, from you guys. I I don't think that I'm, you know, some all-knowing legal sorceress <laughs> with all this knowledge. Um, but from my past experience, from my from my own investing business and from you know my clients, I, I can definitely pick up on some trends. And I, I think that's one of those things where um, more problems are created than prevented. And so we'll talk a bit about month to month automatic turnovers. Uh, we'll also talk about when to use a lease addendum versus just creating a whole brand new lease with a tenant. And then we'll talk about uh, just some legal landmines that I see surrounding like long-term tenancies. When you've got tenants who are sticking around for two, three, four, five years, 10 years, 20 years, like this stuff does happen. Um, where you've got these tenants who it, it almost seems like they own the house. They know the house better than you have. And they, um, there's just, you know, some additional kind of things to keep in mind. I, I always think, you know, just keeping red flags um just simmering in the back of your mind. It's not something you have to like live your life around. <laughs> and um, But it is something that like when the situation arises, just kind of going through that mental checklist or written checklist, if you're anything like me, like I, I time is a sieve, my brain is a sieve. I don't know when mom brain comes back. <laughs> but I rely a lot on SOPs and checklists and things so that way I I don't have to contain this all in my brain. Um, And so we're going to cover all of those things. And the reason being is that the cost, the risk of like out-of-date leases really, it really isn't this due diligence headache that you might cause like some imaginary future buyer. It's really much more immediate than that. You know, it's situations like trying to evict a tenant for non-payment of rent when the lease doesn't show the correct amount of rent. And you're saying they're not paying and they're saying, hey, I'm paying you exactly what the lease says. Um, Or, you know, it's the situation when you, you know, go to court, you think you are evicting the tenants and turns out there's, you know, a girlfriend or a boyfriend who's moved in, but they're not on the lease. And you end up having to do a whole separate other legal action (laughs) that is not as fast and summary as uh, a tenant uh, eviction would be. And, you know, the long and short of it is that, you know, it's, it's fine until it isn't. And that's why today's episode is so important. But before we dive in, I want to let you know about a great free resource I have for landlords. It's called my Ultimate Legal Checklist for Landlords. Thousands of investors have downloaded this free guide and it's, you know, I designed it. I created this thing that is, you know, 20, 30 pages long. Um, it might be closer to 20 pages. I'll be honest. Um, that, uh, it's a free guide for landlords. You know, if you're looking to get the lay of the land of what your legal risks are, start you know un, 
turning over those stones, like figuring out what you don't know so you can start to to know it and understand it and implement it into your landlording business. And of course, some like easy steps that you can take to navigate just being a landlord. Uh, You'll also get a little mini crash course on my philosophy on asset protection, on legal strategy. And so if you're interested, you can download my free ultimate legal checklist over at bonniegallum.com forward slash checklist. Easy enough. Now let's get into this week's episode with my controversial take on month to month leases. And like I said, I don't like them. <laughs> I don't like month to month leases. And I'll share with you a few reasons why. The the first and perhaps the the most glaring to me, um, because if you've been around here for a while, you know just how sacred we hold our turnover time is that I don't want to have the possibility of dealing with like a turnover in February. I do my turnovers August 1st or September 1st. And so that is a really precious part of our rhythms, of our being able to maintain like a somewhat of a normal lifestyle while also self-managing a fairly large portfolio. Um, it's, it's very precious to us. And so I think it should be you know, precious to people because nobody, nobody wants a February turnover. Yes, we can all navigate it and deal with it, but we want turnovers to be on our time, to be on our terms, um, if we can help it. The, the exception I kind of see to like wanting, like where it would actually be in a landlord's benefit to have turnover flexibility is, you know, that situation where perhaps you're selling the property uh, during the next lease term length. So say, you know, you're coming up on an annual renewal, you know, in the next year, you're going to be listing and selling the property. And you just want to have that flexibility of removing a tenant on say like a month's notice. I, I see that as a value to you having that flexibility. I don't love giving um, tenants that type of flexibility. It, it just, it makes for like a clunky business and I'm all about streamlining and simplifying. And so I just, I don't even put it on the table. Um, and this situation I feel like often arises and I don't know why other lawyers love it so much, but I see leases with these terms in it where, you know, the lease automatically converts to month to month at the end of the lease. When it, in my opinion, it's it's really in the landlord's benefit to renew annually or don't renew at all. I feel like it creates this like um, ability for landlords to get a little bit of sloppy or a little bit forgetful where like, oh, if I forget to say, you know, if the tenant doesn't give me notice, if I don't give them notice, we don't, you know, end up in a holdover period. But like my thought is just... <laughs> Just plan for that. Um, just, you know, ask your tenants, are you renewing or not? That way you you can kind of be all in or all out. I, I don't like this little kind of like wishy-washy where at like 30 days notice, gosh, I mean, I ask for 90 days notice <laughs> in my annual leases. And so to convert it to a period where at 30 days notice, either of us could could walk. I mean, that just, oh, it makes my shoulders creep up to my ears. It makes me so tense thinking about it. Um, and we just, that type of flexibility would not feel um, in alignment with our uh, property management or self-management style at all. Um, And of course, you know, I've got to caveat this. Check with your state landlord tenant laws to see if there's any sort of restrictions around automatic renewals. I am an investor in New Jersey. I know I've got a lot of New Jersey listeners where, you know, it was my home base. And 
this ain't gonna fly in New Jersey. Um, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. There's always exceptions to the exception, but generally speaking, like renewals and New Jersey landlord tenant law are like a national anomaly. <laughs> it is not how uh, most people, most states have their laws written. And so I'm just gonna throw a big old asterisk there, particularly for New Jersey listeners, but always with everything, you know, guys. Um, check your local uh state laws and always in major metropolitan areas. Um, If there's any sort of like citywide regulation regarding renewals, you're going to want to obviously keep your eyes on that. So say we do want to renew a tenant. The, The next question I would get most commonly from my clients is like, do I need to use an addendum or I just sign a new lease? Look, I'll tell you, in our strategy, we sign new leases every year. Um, sometimes the only thing that changes is the date. Uh, most of the time, it's the date and a modest rent increase. Uh, we we don't try to hike up rent too, too much. Uh, but we do find that um, a modest rent increase keeps you know everyone on a schedule and an expectation that rent increases happen annually. Um and I've talked about this before. We we strategically tried to underprice our properties. Um, we always like being a little bit on the lower end of market rate, not being, you know, hundreds of dollars under market rate. Like that would make no sense. But we found that being, you know, one of the cheaper housing providers in the area allows for faster um and easier turnovers for us, uh, especially with you know students who can be quite budget conscious. You know, a hundred bucks a month can really make a big difference for a lot of people, and students are no exception to that. And so, when when are we using just like an addendum? When are we signing a whole new lease? And I really see addendums being appropriate in really one of two situations. The first is just like a singular term change in the lease. Um, And I'm not using term in terms of length here. I mean, like one clause is being changed. And that's typically just like the, I'll say this is kind of two terms technically, but it's like, hey, we're renewing for another year and this will be the monthly rent. It's like that one change. We're just changing what the rent price is going to be. And we're putting, you know, brackets around what this is going to apply to. Um, The other situation are mid-lease changes. And so it's the middle of the lease, you're six months into an annual lease, and your tenant calls you and it's like, hey, I want to get a cat. Or, hey, my boyfriend wants to move in. Which, first off, thank your tenants for telling you that, because so so often it feels like you find out the stuff after the fact. It's like they'd rather um, ask for forgiveness than permission. So if a tenant is coming to you with permission in the middle of a lease, thank them for that. <laughs> uh, thank them for their honesty, for their, you know, coming to you ahead of time. Um, because gosh, what a, uh, not, what's the word I'm looking for here? That doesn't happen. <laughs> it just doesn't happen very often. Um, we always try to encourage that type of open communication. Most tenants, I'd say more so in like the wanting to get a pet, uh, would be more likely to try to sneak that in versus a roommate. But you never know. Those are both situations where we've had, you know, tenants try to slip one under um, the rug without getting noticed. But we've also had tenants reach back out to us. And so that type of a situation, we're in the middle of the lease, tenant wants to get a cat, tenant's got a boyfriend, what do we do? I typically will just do an addendum there. Um, It's basically one term, that you're changing, and we want the rest of the lease to be in full force and effect. There's really no reason to, you know, sign a whole new annual lease or 
do something where it's like for the next 90 days, these are the rules. It That just makes it more complicated. So, you know, the rest of the lease is in full force and effect. Plus, you know, Janie's got a cat now. Good for her. And if there's like some sort of deposit or something that goes alongside that or modest rent increase, then maybe you memorialize that there too. But we're, we're not changing the whole thing. More than these cha- types of changes, though, I do think a whole new lease is warranted. And so when you start changing like the term length, the utility responsibility, oftentimes at the annual uh, release we've seen, especially with students, there's like roommate switcheroos. You've got someone's moving out, someone's coming in, uh, guarantors are, you know, maybe changing or co-signers. In that situation, at the end of the lease, ideally is when this stuff is happening because no tenant's going to let you like increase the rent mid-lease, short of it being like a pet being added or something like that. Um, But when we've got multiple changes, it gets messy. It just gets really messy when you're like, hey, here's these, you know, four, five, ten uh, changes to the lease. Just sign it here at the bottom. Like at that point, just just sign a new lease. Change where, you know, the check boxes are, change the people's names. And since you're signing something anyway, yes, it's a little bit more legwork on your end, but it just makes it so, so much cleaner. And the important thing to do is to do this regularly. Every, if it's an annual lease, every single um, lease. Every single year you're going to do this. Now, on like people doing like midterm rentals, it, it, it we're kind of talking a different animal here, but sometimes just like an addendum is appropriate when you're just saying, hey, we're going to bump this out another month or another two months. Everything else stays the same. Um, just being careful, of course, that term length can sometimes change. Um, your treatment under landlord-tenant law, oftentimes short-term renters and sometimes even midterm renters have less landlord tenant rights than long-term renters do. Uh, because one is seen more as like housing and there, you know, there's this public interest in, you know, protecting people's stability in housing. Whereas, you know, an Airbnb, that's like, that's a vacation. They, they, they're treating it much more like a hotel. Not to say that people don't have to evict from hotels or Airbnbs. It definitely happens. But generally speaking, the process is, is, um, a lot simpler, and those types of people have a lot less rights. But when we're thinking about long-term tenancies, like what are some of these legal landmines um, floating out there? And and a few came to mind right off the bat for me. The first being return of security deposit or um, interest. And so some states actually require you to return a portion of the security deposit after the first year. So say like you have two months rent, Uh, held it as ground. But after the first year, you're only allowed to uh, hold one month rent. Some sort of statutory requirement like that. And so keeping an eye on that. And then also keeping an eye on whether if your um, security deposits have to be held in an interest-bearing account, when are the tenants entitled to that interest, if anything? And yes, we might be talking about like a nickel's worth of interest, um, especially the way interest rates have been on you know these types of accounts. But if the tenant's entitled to their nickel, you better give them their dang nickel, okay? Um, you don't want to step on a land uh, on a security deposit violation. I, I talk about that all the time. It, it trips people up. It's like do not pass go. Here's this whammy of a fine, and it feels painful <laughs> to have to you know pay hundreds of dollars, sometimes thousands of dollars over something that literally feels like um, nickel and diming. But it's the law and 
tenants are entitled to it, and there's really strict laws almost nationwide around this kind of stuff. The other thing that I see with landlords on these long-term leases is not doing rental increases. And I feel like everyone's like, that's never going to be me. (laughs) But I mean, how many of us have tried to purchase properties in the last year or two where tenants are so far under market that you're like, how are these people even profitable? And they're probably profitable because they bought the property 30 years ago for 30 grand. But now it's 2023 and you're buying it for $300,000 and ain't no way that's going to cash flow and a bank's going to like you with (laughs) the rent roll being where it is. And so I think it's a trap that a lot of us feel like we won't fall into. And I, I think it's harder to fall into forgetting to or not caring enough to bother doing a rental increase every single year. But you may find a time where you're paying a property off or the value of the rent is just so much higher. Like we're, if you're early in, you know, owning properties where it's five years, even where we're at, like 10 years deep into owning properties, we're just kind of now getting to the point where it's like, oh, (laughs) here's all of this appreciation. And I don't have to charge, you know, top, top of the market rent in order for this place to cash flow. Um, And you don't want to just fall into that trap either. It consistently is really important. And it's just this this repetitive action of thinking like, oh, just this one year, I, it won't be a big deal if I don't do some sort of like cost of living adjustment. But that really, really can um, snowball over time. And then lastly, this <laughs> approach that no news is good news. Don't take the ostrich approach to property management even if it's been a while and everything seems to be good and they're not causing you any headaches, make sure you're checking in, walk the place, make sure you know what's going on. As I talked about in my newsletter last week, one of the most important things you can do as a landlord um, is keeping the lines of communication open with your tenants. You do not want to fall into a place where you need to talk to your tenants and they're not answering, whether it's because they got a new phone number or they got a new email address or they just don't like you, like whatever the case is, like you got to make sure that you've got a way to access the property and a way to communicate. I mean, I've seen situations where, you know, tenants have been there for five years and they start changing the locks and they start putting up security systems that won't allow the landlord to get in without, you know, the police showing up. And so, don't allow, you know, the property to become anything other than yours. And I mean, of course, we want people to feel at home, but you also can't have your rights slowly kind of whittled away over time just because you've got um, a good long-term tenant in there. And, you know, in some, like, at the end of the day, I, you know, I'm always talking about how, you know, keep commentating and writing, but this is the case in point situation where like the proof is in the pudding or in our case in the paperwork and making sure that the paperwork is up to date, is accurate and is in our business's best interest, in our best interest, because we absolutely have control over this type of stuff is is crucial. I mean, lease renewals are something that I think are like deceptively difficult. I, I think most people think this is like an easy no brainer, don't kind of have to think 
you know, give it much thought, but it really does have long-term trickle-down effects, not just to your cash flow, but also to your ability to easily navigate like evictions or tenant disputes. And so, you know, hopefully after this week's episode, you have a sense of just how important business decisions like these are and, you know, the opportunity that you have around making renewals a process that don't bury you in um, outdated uh, paperwork, outdated decisions, outdated rent values. <laughs> and so if you like this episode, please let me know by leaving this podcast, Good Bones, a five-star review on your Apple podcast app. It really, truly does help other landlord listeners find the Good Bones podcast. And it doesn't cost you anything more than about 10 seconds of your time. And I so, so, so appreciate it. Next week, tune in for a listener question about estate planning and LLCs. This is a topic near and dear to my heart because generational wealth, as you know, doesn't just happen by mere ownership of real estate and, um, gosh, <laughs> I see people get tripped up on this one so often, um, especially once LLCs start getting involved. And I've even seen it, you know, screw up, you know, attorneys when, you know, planning for death and incapacity. And so if you've got an LLC, if you're thinking about getting an LLC and you're, you know, thinking long-term, you're, you're thinking about what you need to be doing from the outset to set things up to create generational wealth and not like, overly complicated kinds of ways, just like truly understanding how like these entities um, interact with each other over the long term, then make sure you're subscribed, make sure you tune in next week. It's going to be a great episode and I don't want you to miss it, but that is it for this week. And so I'll see you here same time, same place next week. Bye for now.